Welcome to the second episode of Talks with Dolan. My name is Akshita Maheshwari and I am the content and growth lead here at Dolan. Today we have with us Varun Fatehpuriya, the founder of Dolan. Dolan is a tech-enabled all-in-one platform which provides a uh, personalized portfolios for Indian investors so that they invest better and reach their financial goals. Before Dolan, Varun has worked with some of the biggest investment firms like Bloomberg and Blackstone. He graduated with distinction in finance and information system from the Hong Kong University of Science and Technology. He is also a NSIM certified investment advisor. We are glad to have you here with us. Thank you so much for having me, Akshita, today, uh, and I look forward to having this conversation again. So today we are going to talk about how should a beginner start their investing journey. So uh, for starters, Warren, could you tell us how Indians have traditionally invested and what are the recent trends? What are the changes that we've seen in the recent years? Uh, so traditionally, uh, I think if you see where a lot of the money is actually invested from a household point of view, right? Even if we look at where our parents actually invested their savings, their investing, uh, and RBI came up with this very interesting study, which they do periodically. A staggering 65% of a household wealth is actually invested into physical assets like real estate and gold. Uh, and I think a lot of people will actually agree that both of those instruments are not really productive, so to speak, right? But we as Indians do tend to have a certain amount of affinity seeing something tangible. So when you see a piece of land, when you see a piece of real estate, obviously we tend to gravitate towards that because we see something of value, something which we can actually see as opposed to a financial instrument which cannot be touched or felt. And I think same also happens in the case of a gold. I think this generally from a cultural point of view, that's something that's been passed on to us from generation to generation as a store of value. Right. And we can sort of like, you know, spend a lot of time debating the pros and cons of investing in wealth. How do you actually financialize that? But about 65, over two thirds of a wealth are actually invested uh, into assets, uh, which are, you know, uh, just generally very difficult to liquidate and all of the cons that are associated with it. I'm not to say that there are no pros, but I think slowly and gradually as we move away from a regime uh, where we typically store uh, a majority of our wealth into physical assets and move that to financial assets, which we have seen being the trend um, in the West, in the US, in the Europe, where even the government, even the regulators have spent a lot of time financializing the real estate and the gold aspect of it, right? So today in India, we have an instrument called the Real Estate Investment Trust, which can give you exposure to real estate as an asset class without actually owning that piece of real estate uh, given just how difficult it is to, you know, manage that and so on and so forth. And only about 35% of our wealth is still into financial assets. And even in that, over, uh, I would say, roughly 50 to 60% is lying in low-yielding bank deposits, not bank deposits, small saving programs. So really the pool of investments that we are seeing that's invested actually into the markets in the form of, let's say, direct equities, stocks, mutual funds, continues to be a very, very small part of an household wealth from a portfolio point of view. Uh, and definitely that's a trend that we have definitely 
seen been increased over the last two to three years, primarily due to COVID. Uh, I think that was definitely uh, a trigger point where a lot and lot of people actually got into the market, started investing. But I think we still have a huge runway in front of us where I think it would take definitely from an educational point of view, a lot of learning, a lot of, I would say, outreach to people in terms of educating them about different investment avenues, uh, what is present today apart from real estate and gold, uh, but also within financial assets, how they could actually diversify their wealth rather than concentrating it uh, in a bank account, in a fixed deposit, uh, you know, the traditional instruments, which a lot of people have come to actually uh, just invest in. So that's that's typically sort of like, you know, being the trend. But yes, we are definitely seeing some, I would say, green positive signals uh, where we are moving away from that. That's nice. And that sounds uh, interesting. So, um, you know, before investing, uh, we always have this misconception in our mind that you need a lot of money to start investing or you need a certain amount of funds before you start investing. So is that true? And what is a good amount to start investing? So maybe if you would have asked someone that question 10 years, 15 years back, or even 20 years back, probably I think the answer would have been a yes. Uh, not from a, I would say, an amount point of view, because again, the regulators, uh, both from a mutual fund industry and direct equity, uh, where again, they have sort of like a limited room, right? I mean, if you have 100 rupees, you need to actually go and find stocks uh, where you could, uh, uh, which are of uh, 100 rupees where you could actually buy with or uh, uh, the diversification benefits and all of those things. But generally, this notion that you again need to have a lot of money to start investing is no longer true today, uh, both from an amount point of view and also from the amount of time it takes to actually, you know, get started uh, investing in the markets. Today, literally, you can start investing within five minutes if you have uh, a, a bank account. And that's the sort of like the only requirement that you need to at least have in terms of getting started investing into the capital markets, right? So the regulators have done an exceptional job uh, in full credit to them for basically making sure this instrument, this product is accessible to 99% of the population. Today, with even 100 rupees, you can get started with investing in a mutual fund. So at least that can give you a foot into the door that can give you uh, a test of how actually things into the market. So don't really, I would say, have this notion that you need to have a lot of money. I think even if you are earning, you're still in your 20s earning, uh, I would say, uh, small amounts of money, uh, getting started with the career, uh, do try this product out. Uh, and at least that will at least uh, make, you, make you familiarize with a lot of the options that are today available in the market. That is not to say that this is something that you will continue to do it, depending, again, what your personal goals and risk and all of those things are. <clears throat> but it will at least make you familiar uh, with the concept of investing, rather than thinking about this is something that you are going to postpone for as long as possible uh, and waiting for that one fine day where you will have a lot of money to start investing. Trust me, that day will never come. You will always want to you know, keep postponing this as a decision because just by nature, I would say humans are lazy. So they try to uh, postpone this for as long as they can do uh, until unless a very strong trigger point comes. So the only advice uh, I would say I would have, right, is just get started. All right. Could you elaborate a little on how exactly do we set these investment goals, especially when we're just starting out? So, again, I think when you go and speak to a lot of people, right, so much of today, uh, 
our consumption of news happens either through, I would say, a mobile device or from what we get on our WhatsApp messages uh, or what we hear from friends and families, right? Uh, so I think, again, the common notion, the common, I would say, argument uh, or most of the, I would say, the starting point for a lot of people when they are thinking about investing is best mutual fund kya invest karne ke liye, best stock kya invest karne ke liye, something that will give me the most returns. And I think that is exactly the wrong approach to take. I think that is a very flawed approach. I think maybe it can work in some instances for a few uh, uh, people, but I think broadly um, and vastly, that is not ideally how you should be approaching uh, investing, right? So when we talk about investing from a goal perspective, investing from a risk perspective, the entire idea around this is we are trying to give this some sort of a structure, some, uh, some sort of, I would say, putting into a category of things which makes it easier for you to make decisions, but also, uh, I would say, enable you to put things into a lot more perspective. So uh, let me explain that to uh, you with an example. Let's say you are in your early 20s today. Uh, you want to start investing. You're thinking, let's say, about uh, that dream home that you want to purchase and want to save a down payment for that in the next 15 years, right? So suddenly now... From the, that example, you would have seen we have a couple of variables. You know, you have a certain goal that you want to reach uh, in a certain period of time. So in this case, it's 15 years. You know, you want X amount of money that you want to be saved up in 15 years. Uh, and let's say that uh, that that amount in today's value is about 25 lakh rupees. So what you would ideally do is basically adjust this amount now, from an inflation perspective and see where this amount would be, I would say, 15 years from now. So let's say this 25 lakh rupees uh, in today's value becomes about, let's say, 75 lakh rupees um, in 15 years, right? So, you know, you need to have at least 75 lakh rupees saved up in 15 years amount of time. Now, you know, there is a goal, there is a destination that you want to achieve. Try and work yourself backwards from there. So to get to 75 lakh rupees in 15 years, how much you need to save on a periodic basis. That could be, I would say, monthly. That could be quarterly. That could be annually. I would say whatever floats your boat. But that will give you at least some perspective in terms of, you know, uh, reaching to a certain goal and the amount of money, uh, I would say, that you need to start investing uh, today to be able to get there. Uh, rather than just thinking about, I would say, so I would say that is one approach. Uh, on the flip side, uh, even if you don't, I would say have a certain goal in the mind that you want to get to. Uh, and that's completely fine. Right? Let's that, that, say this is just a general investing pool and you want to invest for a certain period of time. That's also completely okay. But again, trying to structure things around from a goal perspective and from a time perspective, I think that's really important because that really is the bedrock of your investment portfolio. And that also helps you answer a lot of the questions, a lot of the variables that would inadvertently pop up uh, once you get started with this. That definitely clarifies a lot of things. But with so many options available in the market, so many investment options available, how does one decide which option is suitable for them? And you know, what are some possible investment options for beginners? So there's this term, I think, that we use, I would say, internally. Uh, and I also, uh, it's a widely used term in the industry, like paralysis by analysis, right? There is There are just so many options today in the markets, whether that's mutual funds, whether that's, I would say, direct stocks, whether that's, uh, I would say, 
insurance policies, which are, which also has some sort of an investment rider, uh, right? So people tend to honestly get lost. Okay. That now they know that they want to start investing, but the biggest question is how, like, how do they start? Where do they start? Uh, what amount is suffice? I think there is still a lot of, I would say, variables and questions, uh, around, uh, those, uh, questions, right? So to give a very point blank answer, if you're looking to get started with investing, want to invest in the markets, don't really have a lot of experience uh, and the time to, uh, I would say, do the research and all of those things, get started with investing in a low cost passive in, uh, index one. What this effectively does is it gives you exposure to India's top companies. So let's say I think you would have heard the term Nifty 50 or the Sensex, right? These are basically indexes which gives you exposure to India's biggest company, which is really a good representation of how the Indian economy, how the Indian market is actually performing. So from that point of view, that's a really good starting point that you get started and get basically buy an index fund that will basically give you exposure to all of these biggest companies. Uh, and that could be a really good way for you to uh, get started with investing rather than dabbling into a lot of the exotic instruments like, you know, futures and options uh, and doing trading and doing crypto and doing, I would say, uh, active mutual funds and all of those things. Uh, I think this will at least give you a sense of the market, give you a sense of your own investing psyche. I think that's more important at the end of the day. Uh, and then I think once you get comfortable with that, right, uh, slowly, slowly start to see um, the kind of market volatility, how, uh, volatility, how you're reacting to that, then you can maybe consider then moving, I would say, a step uh, up in the ladder and consider different instruments. Right. So you just talked about uh, market volatility and we are living in this VUCA environment, as they famously say, right? So, um, you know, what should be the approach towards risk and diversification in the initial stages? So again, risk and diversification see, is, a, I would say, a concept that people do not really want to understand, at least the risk, right? Uh unless they actually experience a downturn. And I think, let's say, if we uh, rewind our clock back to three years, you know, once the uh, market's downturn actually, you know, happened March of 2020 uh, and from April onwards, where a lot of people actually got started with investing. At that point in time, if you went to someone and talked about risk, right, uh, and in the ensuing period and in the next 12 to 18 months from there, you would you would have ended up looking like a fool, right? When the markets are sort of like just traveling in one direction up and to the right, I think it's really difficult for someone to explain the concept of risk, right? And how your portfolios should actually be risk optimized uh, to the extent that you can handle one. But uh, again, I think now what we are seeing with the kind of volatility, both in the domestic markets and in the U.S. markets, I think people have started to appreciate, no, maybe, you know, this is something that needs to be thought of. My portfolios need to be in sync with what my own individual risk tolerance is, what my own individual, I would say, risk appetite is, my risk-taking ability is, right? So again, risk inherently is not a bad concept. Right. I mean, something which just, I would say, in a layman's term, uh, fluctuates a lot on a day to day basis, which goes just 
goes up and down a lot. I think that is something that you would characterize as being a risky investment as opposed to, let's say, investing in a more secure fixed deposit or debt products, which have a very, very smooth and a stable. And, you know, it's sort of like just traveling up uh, in only one direction with a not a lot of inundations. So that is what risk essentially means. And ideally, when you talk about diversification, that really ties into the risk because ultimately diversification itself as a concept is not something that is going to guarantee you returns, but at least that is going to give you a way to ride out the risk, ride out the volatility in a much more smoother manner. And again, I don't want to get very technical at this point in time, but again, I would say when we talk about diversification, it essentially just means that you have spread your investments across different industries, across different geographies, across different instruments, so that you are not really uh, dependent uh, and is majorly affected uh, by a singular event, which affects all of your instruments uh, in a similar manner. That essentially, I would say what risk and diversification uh, is, and I would say the biggest investors that for them, that is really the starting point, right? I mean, they don't, uh, I would say, get out of the bed uh, without thinking about, you know, uh, how much of a risk their portfolios can actually handle. So uh, it's not something too complex of a topic. I would say there are a lot of tools out there uh, available on the internet for free uh, where you can, you know, answer a bunch of questions and you can get at least a rough estimation of what your own risk appetite is. Right. And ultimately, I think the proof of the pudding is until unless you live through a downturn, you will not be able to fully appreciate that. But here, at least it's going to give you some sort of a clarity as to understanding your own psychology and then basically adjusting your portfolios uh, to that level of risk. Yeah, that was definitely very helpful. Um, my next question to you would be when starting out, how does one decide on a brokerage or an investment platform? Uh, so I think what has happened again, I tend to sort of, you know, always rewind the clock back to three years, but I think that ended up being a really uh, seminal moment from an investing point of view, where a lot of these brokerages, discount brokers like Zerotha, Grow, Upstocks, uh, Easy Money and all of those things came into the forefront uh, because a lot of people actually took to them. A lot of people actually took to, you know, investing uh, at that point in time when you really don't have a lot of things to do. You're, you're pretty much stranded at home looking for, you know, additional income opportunities. At that point in time, I think where uh, really a lot of these apps actually took off. So pretty much I would say from an app perspective, from a platform perspective, I think that experience itself has been commoditized. Right? I mean, pretty much if you go to any of the apps, you'll be able to buy the same set of stocks, same set of mutual funds without any differentiation except uh, how good the UI UX of that app is, right? There is no real differentiation, even from, I would say, a cost perspective, right? Pretty much all of these uh, platforms do not charge you any brokerage if you are investing for the long term. If you're not a trader, they will not charge you any brokerage uh except for just, I would say, the regulatory charges, the security transaction taxes and all of those things, right? Uh, so ultimately, I would say it just comes down, I mean, pretty much you can get started with any of the stocks depending on what your preference is or let's say even for that matter, what your friends and family are using, right? But th that itself is just, uh, I would say, a white sheet of paper. Uh, I think everyone will give you the same white sheet of paper. It is for you to decide, you know, what you're able to actually uh, draw. You are the artist 
uh, and that is for you to see uh, what is something that you are investing in. Maybe I think they can give you some sort of an automated recommendations. But I think that also is a big fallacy because what a lot of people tend to do is try to act on those recommendations all the time without understanding that they do not really have a vested interest in your success, right? For sure, if you do not do well, they, you will probably drop off. But I think you are like one in the millions of customers uh, that they have. So they don't really have sort of, you know, uh, are invested in and how you are really doing apart from the uh, charges that they are actually incurring from you. So you can actually just get started with any of them uh, and just see, you know, about something that you are actually liking. All right, got it. I feel like COVID has definitely, you know, accelerated a lot of innovation and most definitely it has been one of the biggest teachers in many aspects. Yeah, I saw. I mean, you know, I mean, it has honestly it just gamified the entire investing experience, right? When you have like like balloons floating on the uh, screen, you have like uh, confetti popping. I think it just added a general sense of excitement and that gamification aspect that made at least a lot of the younger people attracted to these sort of things. Uh, and then we also saw uh, this uh, in the US uh, with an app called Robinhood, right? Which again, I would say pioneered the entire concept of discount brokerage, right? And where they actually got a lot of their users uh, during COVID, but you're sort of like, you know, starting to see that uh, stagnating and uh, exactly falling off, right? So maybe I think if this is something that you really want to do uh, from a long-term perspective, you're not really looking to make a quick buck. Uh, be uh, be try to be serious about it, and do not. Uh, I would say uh, get uh, attracted by all of these uh, bells and whistles. All right. So you know, as a beginner who does not have a lot of uh, knowledge about the markets and with no experience, what are some platforms you know which probably we can utilize to gain more information to learn more. So I would say one of the really good resources that I recommend to a lot of people and full credit to them uh, is, a, is a resource by Zerodha called Varsity, where they have in very, I would say, detailed manner laid down the basic concepts of the stock market, of mutual funds, of risk, of portfolio construction. Um, so you could really, I would say, encourage you to actually go on to that platform, go on to that web website uh, and see for yourself, try it out, uh, maybe spend a few days, uh, a few weeks, uh, you know, going through each of the modules which are relevant to you. So you can at least, at least from a theoretical point of view also, you know, you can actually start to get an understanding why certain things are the way they are. I mean, it may look to you very theoretical, but at least once you get started investing, you'll start at least appreciating a lot of the things as to why some things are structured in a manner they are. So I think that's a good resource. I think that's something that you can definitely try out. And apart from that, again, there are a lot of news websites uh, from which you can get information from. The only risk that I think uh, by reading too much of the news is that you inadvertently, again, tend to end up acting on every piece of news that you read, right? You you start to think of yourself as a big trader or investor who can, you know, effectively time the market or make sense of a lot of the news that's uh, being thrown at you. Yes, probably maybe a few of the times you would be able to do that. But again, I think if you're just looking to invest for the longer term, uh, do not get swayed by a lot of these things. Maybe I think uh, it's really difficult to, I would say, act on every piece of information which is out there. So just make yourself knowledgeable with what's happening in the world around you. Make yourself knowledgeable around uh, concepts of investing and trading. Uh, and then just keep it simple from there. All right. 
as a person who is looking forward to start her own investing journey and who has been contemplating for a really long time i personally felt that this session was uh, really insightful and i hope that our audience also uh, found this session helpful uh, thank you so much varun uh, and i'll see you next week thank you akshita